When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Moses Malone didn't make it by himself. In honor of Black History Month. Black History Month. You know, people don't know me. People always said, Moses, you know, you never talk to the press. I had a reason. I always liked to have my concentration when I'm about to play. The press would come in there and say, well, Mr. Malone, how do you feel about tonight's game? I said, you know, I got a job to do. I got to do it 110%. I said, you know, you got the fan side of here. Paying big dollar to see me perform. You know, it's hard to get in here. It's hard to get in here. Tonight, it's going to be an easy night for me because it's hard to get in here. I come here tonight. I retired in 1995. Back in 1995. I never thought I would be a Hall of Famer. But it's a, it's a great opportunity. But as an athlete, we never realize Moses Malone didn't make it by himself. People don't understand it. You know, you got to look at this. Take help. You know, you have to look, guys. Never get credit. You always got the celebrity, Hall of Fame, and the All Star. But the guy that helped you get here needs some credit. You know, without the thousand players I played against, Moses Malone would not be here today. Moses Malone would not be here. I today. need someone to give me the ball. <laughs> People have been asking me for the last few months, Moses. What are you going to say? If you can just think where Moses Malone came from. Small town, Petersburg, Virginia. People always said, "Well, this young man, about six foot ten, would never make it." But I was six foot ten with a lot of heart, a lot of pride, and determination to be the best. I can remember the time me and a friend used to go to the playground, just play basketball all night. Just had one street light playing full court. He said, "Dang it!" He said, "Man, he said, man, you good?" He said, "One day, man, you're gonna be worth a million dollars." Oh yeah, man. You joking about that? I said, a million bucks? He said, yeah, you'll be worth a million dollars. I never gave it no thought all night because I never thought that I would be an NBA ball player all night. You know, I never thought that I would be a 12-time NBA all-star. I never thought I would be a, one of the 50 greatest players for all time. No. You know, to me, they the player that made me what I am. Because without them, Miss Malone would not be here. You know, just like a little just bit like of baby. 19 baby. years in the NBA, I'm laying on my back, drinking milk, drinking milk. One thing about a baby, lay on your back, drinking milk in the league. Now, all of a sudden, I retired in 1995. I started crawling. Now, least thing a baby do is stand up. So now I'm standing up. The least thing a baby do is take that walk, take that, walk. Take that first step. So I'm going to thank y'all for letting me walk. be involved in this Hall of Fame. I'm going to take that first walk into the Hall of Fame. Thank you. In honor of Black History Month. Black History Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. Monday through Friday. On the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Tampering. Aha! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Ask me what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Hey, we don't have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic with a West Coast heavy edition. But don't worry, we will be talking about East, West, everything in between. It is trade deadline week, gentlemen. We got Anthony Slater, typically out West, in the middle of the country at the moment, coming to us from Oklahoma City. My friend, how are you? I'm in Andrew Slack's backyard right now. I know. Schleck, you guys having breakfast or anything today? Any, any actual FaceTime? Uh, is is he going to be at the game tonight? Do we need to bring him on? He could break some news. Select, grab the mic. Well, hey, I will see him tonight. That's a thumbs then. up. Big one, big one in the uh, in the big league city, Oklahoma City, near Bricktown. Warriors nice. Thunder. Much much farther out west, we have the one, the only William. What's your middle name, Bill? I should have done my homework here. It's a family-friendly podcast, so I can't tell you what, I've been, what I'd normally say. But uh, my middle name is Joseph. It's not. For anyone looking to it's steal not family-friendly. For anyone looking to okay, steal. Okay, what's my... the non-family-friendly version? Don't hold back. Uh, gosh darn. Okay, William Orham. That didn't go as planned. Lakers beat writer, friend of the program, friend in life, wearing a Montana Grizzlies hat. Not surprisingly, what's up, brother? And shirt. And shirt. Yeah. For the listeners who probably don't care, I'm going to share anyway. We have a Big Sky Conference rivalry between Bill and I. I'm a Sac State product, and Bill went to a program and a school that has enjoyed decades of football success. I don't know what that's like, but uh, we're in a good place now. Gents, let's get back to hoops. Um, this is the week we've been waiting a long time for. We've already got some action on the stove, so to speak, and, and some deals that have gone down. A quick recap on that front. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers, as if they weren't interesting enough this year, coming out of nowhere to be a top four team in the East, had swung themselves a deal with the Pacers, getting Karis LeVert in a, uh, and a second round pick in exchange for Ricky Rubio, a lottery protected first, two second round picks. One of those is Houston's. Um, that deal makes the Cavs, I think, a whole lot better and uh, and helps with some of their deficiencies at the moment. Um, also out West, we got Norm Powell and Robert Covington from the Blazers going to the Clippers for not too much. Eric Bledsoe, Keon Johnson, Justice Winslow, um, gentlemen, quick thoughts on those before we dive into everything from James Harden and the Nets, Orem's Lakers. What are you thinking? I thought, um, I like, like probably from anybody's side, I like what the Pacers got, right? I mean, like it's lottery protected, uh, but it's going to convey this year that pick because Cleveland's making the playoffs. So we're talking about probably like the 20th pick and the 32nd pick mm-hmm. or whatever that Houston second rounder is going to be. Um, that's good value for Levert, who wasn't doing much for the Pacers in their current state, right? I mean, they're shifting. They're probably not done at this deadline. Um, I just, particularly when you compare it to what Portland got for, for Powell and Covington, which I think, as Jason Quick pointed out, but I think we all have come to understand, was much more about the savings, right? Just dollar savings. Yeah, um, I, I like what the Pacers did. I'm not ready to say, you know, Cleveland getting Levert, boom, suddenly that you know they need to be in the uh, mix for for contender status in the East. Some might consider that. I still think they're at least a year away. But uh, 
two pretty interesting deals, but I want more, you know, at the deadline. This is just a nice little appetizer. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I thought Cleveland, uh, you know, I love that we're at a stage where Cleveland is in go for it mode around that young core. Like I didn't, you know, I don't think we expected that coming into the season. So seeing them like, you know, try to make a run at it is is, is pretty fun. Um, Indiana did well, like you said. Uh, love Norman Powell and coming in for the Clippers. The Blazers, though, I, I don't know. I mean, I just have a hard time believing they couldn't have done better if they had, if they let this go on a little longer. If they're I, obviously they were committed to moving Covington, um, they have tax issues, but I don't. And from a personnel standpoint and an asset standpoint, I just come away from that from Portland side saying you the, 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 you gave those guys away. I don't know. I have a hard time believing you couldn't have done better as it gets closer to Thursday. Well, and it's going to be an interesting week in general in Portland, I think. You know, C.J. McCollum's name has been out there for quite some time. That chatter is getting louder, tied to New Orleans, I think tied to the Knicks. Um, You know, we don't have clarity just yet. I don't think on what all of this means for the future of Damian Lillard. That is obviously the the, uh, thing looming over everything, Trailblazers. If you haven't read Jason Quick's latest piece where he broke down this Blazers trade, and uh, we were talking off air about it a second ago, guys, what I loved about what Quick wrote is that you could have just analyzed a, a relatively small trade and, and called it a day at the office. But Jason, you know, took a macro approach and, and talked about the organization and the fact that if you're shedding salary and you're also choosing not to tell the fans what things mean, and that's from an ownership standpoint with Jody Allen and also from a front office standpoint and Joe Cronin, then you are going to kind of leave fans and media members you know, up to their own devices and and to interpret this stuff as they may. And right now, just a ton of uncertainty in Portland, I think. Um, Let's pivot. Slater's got something on his mind. Oh, no, I just, to me, the the appeal of that to them clearly was just getting off that Norman Powell contract, right? What was it? Five years and a bunch of money. I can't remember the exact uh, number. Uh, And that, they they just signed. It was last summer, yeah. And he was he was the you know they signed that because they traded Gary Trent. I mean you can backtrack all their they're like undoing a lot of their recent really Neil O'Shea moves right, right. Um, and it's I don't it's been such bad vibes up there as Bill would would know it's just been bad vibes for the last year up there and you got to wonder deeper you got to wonder about like Damian Lillard's future and, and everything uh, that's circling there. Well, and it's like with Portland, it's like you said if you if you move backwards right like think about all they gave up to get. Um, Covington. There were two first round picks in a deal to get Covington there. There was, um, you know, you gave up Gary Trent and you know, Rodney Hood less, to a lesser degree, but you gave up, you know, impact players and then real assets to bring, to bring those guys in. And now here you are, you know, a year or two into that. Ex- I, mean, I mean, Robert Covington was last last year too, right? Last year deadline. Those were both. He was two or, years was ago, the summer before. Yeah, but, I think it was two years. But ago. like, yeah. So here you are. Like, you're just you're you're giving a, it's 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 compounding the issue you already had. You've already given up assets and now you're dumping them without real assets coming back. So here's my segue. I, I do. I don't want to waste too much time before we get to Bill's Lakerland. Uh, that's for you, buddy, because I always have to drop a Lakerland reference. Um, but before we get to Lakerland, you know, Daryl Morey of the 76ers, of course, is suddenly, in my opinion, starting to look, you know, very prudent for the patience that he has shown on the Ben Simmons situation, because whether it's Damian Lillard's situation in Portland evolving or Bradley Beal's situation in Washington evolving, or, and this is the thing I want to recap quickly here because it it took up part of my weekend, James Harden in Brooklyn. We all know this is front and center again, this story with the Nets and the question of whether or not they are willing to talk about James Harden trades and specifically with the Sixers for Ben Simmons. 
Um, credit to Sham Sharania, who I thought did a wonderful job reporting this story out late last week, because here's the thing. It had been stated really loudly and boldly publicly that the Nets were not going to take any calls on James Harden. And uh, from what I know, not only from Sham's reporting, but from conversations I've had, that's not the case. They are open to having that discussion and why that's relevant beyond the obvious is that all of a sudden, you know, kind of the, the curtain has been pulled back on what's happening within the nets and it's not pretty, it's not good that, you know, have a a situation where a super team was supposed to, you know, kind of take that, uh, that Raptors title away from them and and keep the warriors at bay and win the whole thing with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and, and Harden. And now you have Kevin on the shelf. Obviously, that's not his fault, but it's it's certainly problematic. You got Kyrie playing half the time. You got James Harden, and this is the reporting that's out there now that, you know, a lot of questions about his level of engagement, how he sees his summer. You know, you guys remember he turned down an extension from the Nets, indicated that it was just a matter of him wanting to experience free agency. But all of the signals at the moment, you know, kind of point to James being a guy who is, if I'm handicapping it, who I I think is probably headed elsewhere this summer. So how do the Nets react? You know, that's where the next couple of days come into play. But, uh, you know, that's that's top of mind. You were at that game in SAC, Sam. Yeah, it was ugly. Four four James Harden points, and probably he was even worse defensively than he was offensively in that game. And basically, in a lot of ways, handed the Kings a win that they really needed. But what did you see, Slater? Because here's the thing: we were both there. Uh, Full disclosure: you know, we've been trying to. All of us have been pumping out stories on our top seventy-five coverage. So my regret about that night is that I was kind of knee deep in a Kobe Bryant story that took my focus away from studying James's body language and his play. Um, but, but you were kind of locked in. What were you seeing that night? Cause that, that was a historically bad James uh, Harden evening. Just, you know, you mentioned the word disengaged um, and it was the lack of extra defensive effort or even at times like the first effort. And I believe that he had a you know somebody put up nine straight clips of his defense from that night and that kind of went viral like it was old school remember back in the days when people would really highlight his defense um and it was like you know basically just olaying uh you know a drive that sets up like a swing 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 around the perimeter and he's just kind of watching the ball swinging around the perimeter you know and then suddenly it's harrison barnes in the corner hitting a three and like you know it's funny because i was kind of that night watching it from a king's perspective and you're like well you know kings are playing pretty well tonight but it was (laughs) like you know you look back and it's there's they're playing five on four at times but i think in general you know zoom back it's just what you said it's 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 a deeper look at like what might be a situation that is teetering in Brooklyn that we thought were the title favorites for a lot of the season I don't know what it is about the Kings and I'm sure I have kind of geographical bias here but um it it gives me kind of flashbacks to the Jimmy Butler trade like there's something about a star player who is not happy where he currently is you know and, and the tipping point being that if we can't even get one over on the Kings, then this thing maybe is dead. And, uh, and and that is, you know, with the Nets, did they trade them at the deadline? If we're handicapping it, I'd say probably no. And the problem there, you know, is that the Sixers, you know, it sounds like they are looking at it like, now nah, we're, we're probably looking at a Simmons and Harden swap and maybe a tiny bit extra coming your way from the Philly side. And Brooklyn, meanwhile, has all sorts of incentive to wait until the summer. Um, the the Sixers have cap problems that that don't come into play now, but would come into the summer and uh, play in the summer if if they're trying to obviously resign James. So it's clunky, it's problematic, it's super complicated, it's unlikely. 
but the human dynamics and the locker room stuff and what it means for the Nets and their title chances are are obviously kind of laid bare at the moment. Isn't it almost more significant that we're talking about it that like this that it's even that it's even on the table in the sense that, you know wh- sure. whether or not the deal actually happens it's kind of like the Lakers with Russ which I'm sure we'll 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 get into but the yep. fact that we are at a point where we are talking about deconstructing or rearranging you know these these super teams that have only recently been assembled and haven't even you know been together yet I mean the late you know the Lakers obviously but the Nets haven't had that you know their their big three on the floor together for any sustained period of time either and it's already you know not working to a point where it's even on the table that you would start, you know, rearranging those pieces. It's really fascinating. It is indeed. All right, Slater, unless you have any final uh, net Sixers takes, I was going to jump into the Lakers. No, I mean, look, losing is, has created this situation. Um, eight in a row, Brooklyn has lost. They just went 0-5 on the road trip. We should mention after the Sacramento game, Harden then didn't play the rest of the road trip with hamstring soreness. And I saw a quote from Steve Nash basically saying, like, you know, a lack of strength almost in some ways trying to excuse the lack of effort with, like, oh, you know, the hammy's acting up. Um, so that that's, I guess, should be noted within that. Look, if, they, if there's still a belief within there that, like, Durant gets back. Maybe at some point Kyrie's cleared to play home games. They go on and win the title. Like, you know, winning changes everything. Like, that. there's a chance this could all work out there. I guess just like we'll get to the Lakers, there's a chance you win in L.A. and, and, it, and it all ends up working out. But I already see Bill's face, so maybe we should get to that. <laughs> I, I think Schleck needs to put that on in a meme or in a video. That was a good little uh, reaction there. So, Bill... Let's talk about the team that you've covered for quite some time now. Um, you know, this is not a Lakers centric pod. So just in case, I know you're a famous man, but in case folks aren't familiar with your resume, how many years are we talking now covering this team? Uh, let's see. Um, this is year nine for me covering the Lakers. First year was uh, 2013. Kobe was coming off the torn Achilles. And so right. uh, I came in sort of at, you know, at the downturn of of the Lakers, kind of the end of that previous, you know, successful era um the end of that championship window and and kind of have been through the whole rebuild with them and now obviously the lebron era right orange county register and then and with us for a number of years but it's the end of the kobe era it's the down years Mm -hmm. it's lonzo as the savior it's magic it's everything in between you know genie firing her brother um we know that the lakers always provide (laughs) why are you laughing it's just funny it's just funny like when you put it when you when you package it all together it's like it is just such a bonkers it's been a very bonkers decade, you know, and it's like, you know, that there, there's, there's things like that, like around the league, but like you just like casually slip in, you know, Jeannie firing her brother. It's like, <laughs> this is, <laughs> it's a weird place, man. It took balls, if you will, but on bump. Um, I want to talk about this version of the Lakers and, and Russell Westbrook by my, you know, I was going to say all accounts, I'm just going to speak for myself. He's been pretty good in the media. And and so I think he's becoming a bit of a sympathetic figure, at least off the court. Um, he's You wrote today in, in what was a pretty tough and, and I thought on the nose column that that he has been accountable, that he has, you know, faced the music and, and talked about his shortcomings. And but my God, is this an uncomfortable situation? You know, this team gets LeBron back after his absence. Um, they, they barely beat the Knicks in overtime. Russ gets benched for the second time this year. You know, Frank Vogel, I guarantee you, slept a whole lot better last night because they actually won this time. You know, when they did it before with Indiana, of course, Russ's thing was, you know, we just got to win the game. And when you bench me and we don't win, then an already big problem is even worse. I don't know exactly where to start with you other than, excuse me, um, 
is there any way out for this group? Because I don't think Russell Westbrook is getting traded this week. You know, you talked about the $92 million that they owe him over the course of this season and next. And the fact that it's, it's dead money at this point. Um, and, and you could argue that, that he only kind of lowers their ceiling when he's on the floor. What, what do they, what do they do here? It's, I mean, it's, it's the question, right. And I don't think that there's a good answer. And I, and I think that that is, maybe the fundamental problem with the trade in the first place, because it was risky to bring him in because there were all the issues with fit that, you know, we talked about when they made the move. Uh, and if it didn't work out, what were your outs? And there really aren't any, you know, short of, you know, writing out the two-year contract and listen, two years isn't forever, but it kind of is when you have LeBron James at 37 and 38 years old, what is, you know, what, what does, what does it look like after the, after the Russell Westbrook contract? You know, what does LeBron look like at that point? Because it's really all about LeBron's timeline. Um, and to me, you know, Russ does lower their ceiling when he's on the floor. I wrote today that he not only has not helped them get to contender status, he has actively kind of held them back from getting there. And the only thing I could possibly see is that by benching him now and sort of normalizing benching him now, um, at the end of games, Frank Vogel is slowly building up to benching him more regularly and in higher leverage situations in the postseason. And I don't know if that could mean, you know, as it gets later in, into the postseason, like if you're going to maybe even get to a situation where, you know, he plays later into the postseason. I, mean, huh? I, mean, I meant like later. In <laughs> Will a, they exist later I meant, in the postseason? I, 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 meant, I, meant, I meant more like later, like, <laughs> yeah. late, later in a series. Of the play-in round. Right, sorry. <laughs> if, and again, look, I wrote like if they get to the postseason, so I'm not like blind to this, but like if they if they're in a if they're in you know later in a series where you know you're fully in you know desperation mode, do you bring him off the bench? I don't know if they would ever actually bring him off the bench to start a game, but do his minutes then? flip to where they take on more of a bench role um something like something like that so maybe that we're getting slowly conditioned to the uh de-emphasization of russ as a as a as a as a there's that montana education right there as a leader on this team (laughs) um but yeah i don't know it's really it's really tricky um and i don't i mean i agree with you and what i and what i wrote today was this is not the sort of problem that you kind of coach your way around it's the sort of problem that you fix with a roster overhaul but you can't do that because by trading for russ you basically cash in all the equity you had to make any move so they're basically they're basically stuck maybe right, they could real maybe they could before, get a before slater uh counters yeah. uh because we got to make the business folks happy let's take a quick break on the other side we're going to keep diving in on the Lakers, uh, Slater's going to weigh in. I want Bill's opinion on the Frank Vogel experience, and we will work our way out from there. We will be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, guys, diving back in. Slater, your thoughts on how Bill saw that? Well, I was about to make a joke that doesn't sound well-timed after there's like <laughs> a, a commercial break in between, but I was going to say maybe they could ship Westbrook for a bunch of like mid-tier role players like Kyle Kuzma, maybe Montrez Harrell, maybe <laughs> Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. But what's funny about that is like, what if the Lakers... That was still good, Slater. That was still good. The, good Laker, the Lakers right. could throw the Wizards yet another first-round pick 
and take all get all their guys back. And at that point, you basically just like it's like it's like basically Ozark of of NBA. Like, you're just you're, la- you're laundering the draft picks through like Washington. Like I just like to me, it's it's funny that like we're talking about like there were like. There, there was like Bobby Marks floated a trade that would have the Lakers trading Westbrook to the Knicks and, and trading their 27 first also. And it's like the Lakers just traded a first plus three super useful role players for this guy. And now half of through the season, they're, they're having to attach another first to potentially come off that contract. It's like, that was what the Houston issue, right? I mean, I mean, Westbrook was traded uh, for Chris Paul and Chris Paul came with the first mm-hmm. to Oklahoma city. And like, it just keeps devolving every different uh, stop he goes. How about the, how about the Westbrook for John wall I idea? It, it, it's, I mean, it's funny, but like it, it, it does make a, modicum of sense like john you, it's at least a you know you try something different and maybe that's something different works or maybe that well john wall, no i think from a fit standpoint john wall would, would be a, a whole lot more complimentary yeah. i'm trying to re-engage in this conversation in because so long, after bill's ozark reference all i can think about is is ruth as genie it's you know i don't know if that's the right uh wow. hiring there genie is not nearly as <laughs> not, like it's not nearly as foul mouthed as ruth not that's wendy fair. bird not wendy bird yeah yeah wendy's pretty cunning too I would, I, yeah, I, would, I, mean, I would say that, you know, to the John Wall thing too, like, again, I don't think this is happening. So we're, we're, um, you know, playing in fantasy land a little bit, but I do think um, you would have a player who, you know, has already kind of gone through the, like, you know, the, has seen like, you know, his basketball mortality a little bit and would be more open to whatever the right role is. Whereas you have Russell Westbrook right. who is like, which is, is a, not there a yet. Huge factor. And we've, seen, yeah. and we've seen it with Carmelo Anthony, right? Like Carmelo Anthony went through it funny enough, also in Houston. And then had had his comeback. And now he's like, yeah, I'm happy to come off the bench. I'm happy to be, I'm happy to be the sixth man, whatever it takes. You know, I feel like John Wall is closer to that. I would assume, right. than Russell Westbrook, who is still like clinging to his twenties. I would assume as well as I type in, what is Russ's age Slater? You're the Russ expert. 32. Oh, um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, again, as we kind of game this thing out, fantasy uh, style i mean russ in three four five years you might go through the full carmelo anthony experience and be a very productive six man or, or just a guy 33 yeah, okay. he had a birthday this season okay but yeah i mean that is for me so interesting to watch these guys psycho you know psychology wise have to figure out their own careers in real time when there's so much pressure on them and russ isn't there he's i think he's evolved in terms of his attitude this year and and not just being the guy who rages at everybody when he has a bad night, he's handled it reasonably well. But, you know, I also wrote two weeks into the season that you had NBA scouts and executives all over the league saying that he should be the six man. And we all knew that was never going to happen at this stage in his career. So, you know, John wall, having been on the couch, he's working out, but I mean, having been away from the team for so long and you know, that's the kind of stuff that humbles you. And I think would be a much, much better fit for the Lakers, but that's not going to happen, Bill, as you said. So let's get into the stuff that does matter. And that is actually, you know, substantive and real. You and I, a little while back wrote about Frank Vogel's status within the Lakers. He was very close to getting fired uh, based on our information after that humiliating loss in Denver Um, has kind of steadied things a bit since then. But how is Frank navigating everything that comes with the Lakers internally, the politics, you know, the power plays, the stars, the, the egos, everything. He's, he's still surviving from a job standpoint. He's making tough decisions as we are seeing, but uh, what is the latest with Frank and, and his part here? You know, one thing I'll say about Frank and something I was told uh, even before he started with the Lakers is that, you know, he's a pretty politically savvy guy. 
and he understands kind of how to, I mean, to survive, right? Like, I mean, Orlando is the exception, but like he went through some, you know, interesting circumstances in Indiana. Um, and, you know, here he has, you know, he's been in a really awkward situation where, you know, third choice for the job initially took, took a make good deal, you know, kind of got a, you know, the backhanded compliment of a one-year contract extension. Um, and he is like, you know, I think he's navigated it all really, really well and, and kind of stayed, stayed on the right side of things for the most part. Like he's done a good job of, of um, engaging LeBron defensively, you know, kind of when it matters less so, less so this year, but I mean, when they won the championship, um, but at a certain point, like, you know, that one-year contract extension becomes a little bit like a, you know, like a trap door. And, and as the Lakers have been losing and they don't have any other mechanisms to, um, to, to, to change things up, the coach becomes the obvious target. And you're right. And as, as losing sort of begets losing and the issues compound and you get a loss like that game in Denver, it looks like the guys have stopped playing for him. It looks like they've stopped playing hard. And that's the evaluation the Lakers were trying to make at that point was, are they even, you know, Rob Palenka, Jeannie Buss, you know, Kurt and Linda Rambis, we're all trying to like have the Lake, are the Lakers still playing hard for Frank Vogel? Will they, will they respond to him? And I think the answer, they got kind of the answer they needed in that Utah game when they came out and beat a jazz team that was obviously sliding. Um, but you know, that was a, a big effort win that the Lakers got there. And that sort of is, is where the, the tension on, on Frank was sort of, was sort of eased, but, you know, in terms of how he's handled it, you know, if you were, if you didn't know, if you hadn't read our coverage, if you weren't, you know, inside some of this stuff, you wouldn't see it on Frank's face. He, he does not, you know, reveal that, that, that these have been, uh, stressful times, even though they certainly have been, because I mean, you're talking about a guy, you know, who is a defensive coach and is coaching a team that has been, you know, pretty, pretty lousy defensively. He's been given pretty lousy defensive players to work with. And, you know, I will say like, you go back to tra- uh, media, media day or the start of training camp. When we asked Rob Palinka, you know, how this team could be a good defensive team with a bunch of guys who were not, you know, traditionally known as defenders he put it in Frank's lap and said, well, we've seen, you know, with, with our teams in the past, there's sort of this Frank Vogel effect. And I thought that was really unfair to Frank. Like it's a, again, it's a compliment, but you're setting the guy up for failure because you're basically saying he's going to divine a great defensive team, you know, through like pixie dust and magic because you've given him Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook, but like, and Wayne Ellington, but that's going to be a great defensive team because Frank Vogel's there. I, right. I figured that was something that was going to come back to haunt Frank. And he is so far, you know, avoided that. And to me, he seems at this point, you're 28 games left in the season. You're kind of, you've got kind of a chance to build some momentum here with, you know, LeBron, AD and Russ all healthy and on the floor. It would be a really weird time to make a coaching change at this point because you may not be able to get that momentum, but making a coaching change to me would disrupt kind of the continuity that you have. So I feel like at this point we're in a, you know, that they're committed to Frank for the rest of the season, barring things, you know, really sliding off the side of the mountain. Well, I think we, we should probably share some context there too. One of the things that, that I've learned a lot about the last couple of years is that around the league, you know, fair or not, although I tend to think it's fair, there is a perception that the Lakers don't value coaching like they either quote unquote should, or, or like other organizations do. And that bears out when you get the extension with just the one additional year, that bears out when, you know, a, a veteran coach like Lionel Hollins leaves on not great terms. And How about the, the Ty Lu situation? Yeah. Yeah, the Ty Lu. I mean, Ty was a championship coach who, I mean, my goodness, the way he has been coaching with the Clippers yeah. the last couple of years 
it, it shows that he was worth the contract it, that he and, was trying and, and to get. Monty Williams too. I mean, those are the two guys. Yeah. Those were the top two candidates for that job. And the Lakers right. came in with a, you know, here's, here's, here's $3 million in a cup of decaf coffee. And they were like, no, who, no, who wants that? And, and so yeah. that's how you end up with Frank Vogel. That would work for a sports writer, by the way, I'm just saying, you know, maybe not a head coach in the NBA, but it is, I mean, it, it it's that Laker ego, if you will. It's that, well, you get, you get to coach the Lakers. And hubris. I think that yes, hubris very well done. Um, but you know, the Lionel Hollins thing, Jason Kidd goes to Dallas. They choose not to, you know, Jared Dudley, the sense I got was that the Lakers felt like, well, if if you if we knew you you were going to coach, then maybe be an assistant for us. And he went to Dallas, but he wanted to to play for them, and they didn't resign him. So now all of a sudden you have a bench where Dave Fisdale, of course, is not only a former head coach, but a guy with you know well known close ties to LeBron. Um, you know Phil Handy from there. It's just not as deep a bench as it was before. And I think that is coming into account when you talk about the Vogel calculus. I think if Jason Kidd was still on the bench, it would have happened. Be, be, yeah. But I think that when you are in this situation, you know, Ty Lue with Cleveland is kind of a good, good example. When when David Blatt got fired and Ty Lue got that job, the Cavs didn't make him the interim coach, to my recollection. They gave him a multi-year contract on the spot because he was the guy they yeah. really wanted coaching the team. I think like with a LeBron James, Anthony Davis team that's supposed to be a juggernaut, like that's what you need to do. You need to have the next guy on deck. You don't want to be in an interim situation where you've got like somebody who's just trying to ride out the rest of the season. You're not going to win a championship with like, you know, with, with, with an interim. So to me, it's like, if you're not ready to give David Fisdale a multi-year contract or Phil Handy a multi-year contract and make that commitment, then you might as well write it out with the guy you've already made the commitment to and reevaluate when you get to, you know, the summer. Now, Frank does have that, that extra, that, that year remaining on his contract, but I mean, we've seen it time and time again, where, you know, coaches have one year left on their contract and they, and they come to an agreement to leave. And I look at Frank, you know, he got a one-year extension last year. I don't think it makes sense for him to go into the, if I was him, I wouldn't want to go into the last year of my contract. I would, you know, as a lame duck, that was the issue he faced last summer. And I wouldn't want to coach the Lakers next year without a multi-year contract extension. And with the way this season has gone, I have a hard time. And knowing how the Lakers operate, I have a hard time seeing him, them give him, giving him that. So I feel like the sides are headed for a break um, kind of one way or another. So I want to keep making our way around the Lakers universe to the different characters on the other side of this break. Uh, let's talk about Rob Palenka a little bit. What is that? That face? was a fantastic segue. Oh, thank you. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash show 23 and get started. All right, we are back. Bill, I know you have Lakers practice barreling down on you. We want to make sure we check all the boxes before we let you go. Um, Rob Palenka 
is now in what year of his tenure? I'm, I'm counting on you to give me the me and potatoes here. This is his fourth full season uh, as GM, but he came in midway through the 2017 season. So we're coming up on the five-year okay. anniversary of him uh, taking over as GM. Uh, became vice president of basketball operations last year, but he's been the sole basketball executive since the end of the 2019 season. Well, and I think we've learned through the Frank Vogel experience that when it comes to the Lakers, a championship is, you know, that there are some franchises where Dallas comes to mind. You know, Rick Carlisle wins a title with the Mavs. Now, obviously, Rick did have, you know, a somewhat tense ending in Dallas, but but he was treated very well and had a, a much, much longer leash because if you win a title in that market, then you are on a pedestal. And that's the case for most of the NBA with the Lakers coming in with their 17 trophies. It's a different ball of wax. So Frank Vogel doesn't get a lifetime pass just because he won a title. And we are, I, I think we are starting to sense that that probably isn't the case for Rob Palenka either. You know, he's taken a team that won the, the whole thing in the bubble, remade the roster a couple of times, you know, not, not having good results. And I think the mistakes are piling up on top of one another. You wrote about that today. Where is Rob at right now when it comes to culpability, when it comes to uh, all these different things? Culpability, I think, is you know high, right? I mean, you know, you. I, I think I had a line in the story today that was along the lines of he built Rome in a day and tore it down in an hour. You know, when you look at, you've got a champion. You know, 16 months ago, you've got a championship roster that I think we, you know, we know that you know ownership felt like was going to be pretty sustainable for at least a few years, like for the LeBron era. And then you completely remake that roster with Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, um, Andre Drummond comes in midseason, and there's injuries, right? Injuries are a part of it, but that team was not nearly as um, much in contention uh, as as you would have expected. They lose in the first round of Phoenix. And then you completely start over again with the Russell Westbrook trade. And that's another team that is now firmly entrenched in play and position. So to me, you know, Rob Palinka is, is the, is the person responsible for those decisions. Now, Rich Paul, LeBron James, Anthony Davis are all pushing for the Russell Westbrook trade back in the summer of 2021. But at some point the buck has to stop with your top basketball executive. And, you know, there are people within the Lakers who like to like to point out that Kobe Bryant was always pushing Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss to make a trade before Pau Gasol arrived. He wanted them to trade for Jason Kidd. He wanted them to trade for Jermaine O'Neal. And they said, no, we're going to wait for the right guy. And they believed the right guy was Pau Gasol. And so they basically told Kobe that they would do that. They had his best interests at heart and to, to be patient and trust them. And instead of that situation, you have Rob Polinka basically giving in to what LeBron and AD are pushing for in the Westbrook trade. So the accountability is with him. So the question is, does something happen with Rob? Does he get, is he the um, odd man out at the end of all this? And the only thing I would say about that is there is a contract at issue here. You know, like there's, this is a, this is a, a, a franchise that is mindful of, you know, paying out, you know, big contracts. Rob Palinka has years left as the VP of basketball operations. When I've had conversations about, about Rob's status with people over there, it comes back to the money. And, you know, to me, you know, that's a tricky way to operate when the money doesn't matter when you're trading for Russell Westbrook, but it does when you're like trying to bring in the right executive to, to run the franchise. And as we know, you know, you can't waste LeBron James years. Like that's, that's the only the only requirement of that job to me is don't waste LeBron's time because he doesn't, he doesn't have an unlimited amount of it. And I would argue that the Lakers have wasted three of the four years. LeBron James has been with, with, with the franchise. The first year when they surrounded LeBron, Stevenson and Michael Beasley. And then the last two years. Do you think LeBron, because of the Russell Westbrook, you know, push 
is like understanding of his like you know role in this because you're saying waste the bronze years i mean like couldn't yeah there, there's, well, there's couldn't robbed behind the scenes right now be like buddy he'll look a little bit better right now or you know like the different no, but to Bill's point could, he did i mean listen i get it rob's a former agent he obviously was was side by side with kobe all those years I understand the idea that he that he yielded to the stars when it comes to the Westbrook trade, but Bill makes a hell of a point. They're paying him, you know, I don't want to get aggregated incorrectly, so I'm going to leave the number out. It's a very big number, and my understanding is that it's it's in the double-digit territory annually, millions. It gets paid a lot of money not to just say, okay, guys, what do you want to do? Right, and, and, that's, and that's why, like, you know, th- there is, there needs to be, I think, an evaluation of how the Lakers are making decisions, how those decisions have panned out. I mean, there has been a, you know, an element of, you know, chasing big names and just trusting, you know, stars to make it work. And that hasn't paid off. It hasn't paid off really since the 2019, 2020 season, which was a magical run for them. Absolutely. I mean, that is, that is a championship and it counts, but it also came with a four month break in the middle of it, you know, in very bizarre circumstances when it felt like some of the other teams that were there didn't really want to be there. It just, it lined up for the Lakers and, and that has all, you know, nothing has lined up for them since you, you, they're all their crazy dysfunction and age and everything that feels like it's going wrong for the Lakers in a, in an odd way makes this 2027 first round pick more valuable. Cause if you are a, you know, a, a franchise that's, you know, thinking about the long term, you can go, man, that could be a really appealing pick, right? You know, especially if they, if they could get it unprotected, let's say you're, you know, thunder magic, whoever rebuilding team X, you could theoretically say that that could be a top five pick if they send it unprotected. So I guess I'm trying to ask, like, do you think, there is something to be done in the next five days. And I, we know it's not going to be some grand swing that, that's going to make them immediate title favorites. But, you know, a Harrison Barnes, a Jeremy Grant, I mean, those seem like these these like whales that seem unobtainable to them. But, you know, I don't know, the 2027 unprotected pick and, you know, whatever. I know it's been like none. THT has been kind of the popular package. Is there anything to be done that could maybe help this situation? I mean, I mean, yeah, that's uh, that's more or less the package, right? None, THT, and 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 the first that gets you, you know, into the you know fifteen, seventeen million dollar range, and and you know that gives you a little bit of room to operate. But you're talking Call about a, a THT who has underperformed this year, hasn't been the the impact player the Lakers were hoping, and a Kendrick Nunn who, um, you know, hasn't played and has it has an option for this year. So to me, you're really just talking about the pick, and you're right, it could be really appealing. But also, I think the Lakers need to tread carefully with that pick too. You know, when you talk to you know people around, like I've talked to people around the team who are like, well, listen, we could trade the pick, but at the same time, you go back to 2013 when things were trending downward with Dwight and Nash, and and you know if we started trading picks to bring in role players, you know maybe that would have prevented us from getting Anthony Davis. You know, six years later, so there there does have to be a little bit of a, a long view. Not you don't want to punt on this year in favor of a draft pick, you know, uh, you know, somebody who's in the third grade right now, but you do have to be a little mindful of those picks. And there's a reason we're talking about a 2027 pick. It's because the Lakers have been so cavalier with how they've handled, handled draft choices um, in recent years. They don't have anything else. They've traded them all. And at some point it's like, is that, is that the best course of, 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 of operating? And I think you only trade that pick, you know, a Jeremy Grant. Sure. Like, I don't think that's getting the deal done for Jeremy Grant, but yeah, if you can get a player of that caliber who comes in and can be like a starting caliber player for years to come, then maybe you consider it. But for anybody who's going to come in and be, you know, a marginal upgrade on one of these guys you've got in the rotation, it's not worth it. I'd, ra- I'd rather bank on, you know, internal internal growth and the bio market. 
But this, All this, right, is, Bill. When, this is when Go they ahead, have to sorry. have the balance between, like, you know, because does LeBron care about the 2027 first round pick? No. But is there pushback to, hey, the future still matters for this franchise over just like an obsession of now? Sorry, you can go ahead. Sam. Well, it's just it's the idea of doubling down on a on a on a on a bad investment already. And it's and and so that's where the Lakers it's like, yeah, you can improve it. But if you're still only going to get to the second round and then you're going to get bounced. And again, it's hard to project that stuff out. Things happen. I mean, look at Milwaukee. Like, I don't think. You know, you know, Milwaukee had a you know a, a great path open up to that for, for them last year. You know, is there a scenario where something like that happens for the Lakers? Sure. And would you rather have you know that additional impact player to help you do it? Yes. But like, you don't want to you know you don't want to be the person at the casino at four a.m. digging through your purse looking for the last dime. Now I'm having Jim Buff uh, flashbacks from Vegas. You know, I did too, as I said. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough. True story. True story. Man, that was a long time ago. All right, brother, we're going to let you get off to practice. Uh, another good segue that you helped us out with. When you're gone, Slater and I are going to talk about a franchise that has managed to maximize the present and the future. The Golden State Warriors are, are doing quite well at that. And uh, break down the Warriors, break down some other West Coast teams, and look at the trade deadline. But get off to uh, your day job. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Keep on tampering. Yep. Likewise. Very good. Slater, um, out West, I just wonder your general thoughts on what kind of activity we might have. And and I, I think you'll probably agree the contenders in the West, which it's it become a three horse race with Suns, Warriors and Grizzlies. I don't see a lot of movement there um, in your neck of the woods. You know, the Warriors have been real open about having no desire to trade the Wisemans, the Kamingas and swing for the kind of big move that, that the outsiders kind of think they should swing for the Suns, maybe something around the edges. Not hearing much out of Memphis, but uh, but you know, but you're closer to it. What are you hearing? I had heard early in the season on Phoenix that like there was kind of an internal belief that they would need another piece. Now yeah. I don't know if like how the season has played out with the Lakers completely falling off the map. Um, Phoenix now sitting at 42 and 10. Maybe there's less of a uh, a thirst to, to get that extra piece, but I could see them, you know, making like a mid tier move, maybe you know, with with a future first or something like that. I feel like that sentiment was probably before Mikhail Bridges continued to, you know, ascend um, in the way that he has. You know, I, I had heard some stuff early on this season about just kind of outside the box thinking where it was like, could they get involved in a, a Simmons situation where maybe a Brandon Ingram is coming their way? And I don't, I'm not hearing any of that right now. And I mean, they're 42, uh, 42 and 10 as of the recording. So I don't expect fireworks out of Phoenix. Um, you know, or the Warriors or the Grizz. Um, so Utah, league- right? And we've talked about it. Isn't Utah the first, as we go down the standings, that's like the, the pivot point team that's like no question. probably no the question. most desperate. They're in a bad way. They really have a lot on the line right now. And so the macro look at them is you got, you know, Ryan Smith buys that team and, and buys it for a pretty penny, which is just that comes with the territory in today's NBA. Cuts the kind of check that, you know, and I actually met him for the first time recently and, and enjoyed getting to know him a little bit and, you know, cuts the kind of check that comes with a level of involvement that I think that executives and coaches and players have come to expect now. And, and he's very involved and he adds D Wade to the, the ownership group. Um, you know, Dennis Lindsay obviously departs Justin Zanuck, Danny Ainge, uh, that order is backwards. Danny's running the front office with Justin. Um, but the obvious thing there is that the future of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert as their two co-stars. They're trying to keep this thing, you know, 
in, in that space where they can look in the mirror and feel like they're title contenders. They lose Joe Ingles, you know, for the season. And, and obviously that was devastating. Um, they've been tied to Harrison Barnes. I do think there's a real level of motivation there to get something done. I don't know if they will, but for sure. I mean, they are in the second tier now in the West, and that's not where they plan on being. Well, you just saw what Cleveland did with Ricky Rubio, right? You know, they used his deal, even though obviously he provides no on-court value the rest of the season towards ACL out for the year. They used his deal to get Karis LeVert. They probably had to add extra draft pick value to get that done because Rubio doesn't help. Um, but, you know, could, you might, you'd have a better sense than me on this. Like, would Sacramento be interested in like a Joe Ingles as a salary filler just to get really good, you know, future draft value? Um, could that get something like a Harrison Barnes deal done? I would say no at the moment, even though you could probably argue they should. I mean, as you know, and we've talked about it, yeah. you know, the Kings, yeah, I mean, the, the Kings have been incredibly stubborn to the idea of trying to break their playoff streak. And, 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 and I guess they're considering the play in as, you know, uh, still something worthy of chasing it. They're two games back of 10th right now. Um, you know, they're 20 and 35. It's been a terrible season yet. They have continued to, send out from a messaging standpoint, the idea that they want to win. And so, no, you're not, you're not bringing on injured players to get assets. If that's your mentality, I think it speaks to the pressure on the front office. I think it speaks to the history and obviously the fact that they haven't been in the, uh, in the playoffs since 2006, I was a much younger man back then when I was there in person. So that kind of a deal could make sense. I don't see him doing it. I'm dying to see what they, they do Slater because you know, Darren Fox is obviously front and center. They've put it out that he's not going anywhere. They've told his people that he's not going anywhere. His people claim he's not going anywhere. But a little bit a la James Harden, it's just the timing of, you know, his absence all of a sudden. He's got an ankle injury that is, is somewhat analogous to Harden's when it comes to, and Harden obviously hamstring, but where the medicals are not devastating, but the player is choosing not to play. Now, Darren's talked openly about it says that when he runs north to south, he feels fine. He's 100%. And it's side to side, east to west, is where he struggles. And I get all that, but it is just a mysterious time of year to be out for so long. Uh, you wrote the other day about Tyrese Halliburton and Davion Mitchell looking pretty good. You know, if you're Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox in that front office, you know, you you got to kind of feel like, I don't know, this this might just be our backcourt. Let's get what we can get for De'Aaron. But they claim that's not the case. Well, and it's always – it always should be noted, like, which front offices made which draft picks, right? Yeah. It does yeah. seem like this front office, you know, the Monty McNair front office, uh, made two good picks. And you would assume is kind of – if they had to choose, like, which path to go down, they'd probably want to commit to the guys that make them look good, right? I mean – They literally got hired. They would never be here if draft picks – weren't botched you know what I mean like yeah. that's that's the name of the game it's not only about that but you know if Luka Doncic gets drafted by the Kings and Vlade Divac is on a 72-year contract and living life with the Kings I mean and, and so yes it's a big deal that they seem to have done well with these two picks but they are you know they're steadfastly claiming they're going to hold on to De'Aaron yeah uh you know Marvin Bagley's kind of a, an interesting name at the deadline I mean I yep. know he's been dealing with injuries too um yeah, it's they as we've talked about week after week after week on this podcast, they do seem to be really a swing team. Like if they get active, the deadline can get really active. Well, um, there's there's a lot of names we can go through as we wrap up here, you know, just to kind of handicap how the week might go and and 
We'll see if uh, by the time the pod is actually published, if anything's changed. But, you know, Jeremy Grant out there a lot. Detroit, um, interesting dynamics, uh, you know, in Detroit when it comes to Troy Weaver running the front office, but Arn Tellum mostly on the, on the business side, having a significant voice and, and I think a bit of a split in the room there about what to do with Jeremy, a, a high price tag by all accounts, but a guy who is seen as a, a potential game changer on a contender. Um, you know, we have seen, I'm just trying to go through names now, Slater. We've seen Levert obviously on the move already. The, the Pelicans are front and center. Um, their pursuit of a guard is very loud at the moment and, and honestly had me wondering if they were going to, or might already be banging down Sacramento's door quite a bit for Fox, but you know, in on CJ McCollum, in on Eric Gordon, they were in on Levert before he moved. You know, we're going to see action here, um, even if it's not the the Harden variety. Yeah, no doubt. What is who's one name that you are most confident it will be moved? Putting me on the spot. One yeah, name. Yeah, I am. Um. Well, Eric Gordon, you mentioned at, Eric Gordon. I feel like Houston has to do that, right? Yeah, I mean that's part of their plan, right? Is to continue transitioning. I could see Eric. Um, you know, I would I would expect Eric to be on the move. Um, that is a good name. I'm drawing a blank. Otherwise, I mean, my I'm looking at the standings, and my mind kind of got stuck on Atlanta. Well, which the is, Pacers and Blazers have already kind of declared themselves sellers, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, and there's the both teams have additional pieces. You know, Nurkic, you mentioned McCollum, you look at Sabonis. Indiana. Yeah, Sabonis, Turner, maybe. I mean, obviously, like the injury concern there. And the thing about the Pacers that is worth noting is that there appears to have been a shift, uh, or at least, you know, a, a difference between what their public messaging was and, and reality. So Herb Simon, their longtime owner, had said earlier in the season that they had no intention of rebuilding. That's not what we do. We, we survive in the middle and then thrive when we can. Um, you know, when you're out there taking on injured players, that sends a different message. And so that that feels like a full out, you know, kind of uh, yard sale time. So the Sabonis one, even though the, the price tag for him has also been, you know, known to be really, really high, comes to mind. Turner's dealing with the injury. I don't know how that impacts his situation. But Sabonis, much like Jeremy Grant, is the kind of guy that, that can help you take a step contender-wise. I don't hate like a Sabonis Fox type maneuver for both teams. So allegedly, and this is uh, three weeks ago or so, you know, at that time, the Pacers just simply saw Sabonis as the better player. Uh, now you could argue that, I mean, uh, great, but if Fox is going to be part of your future and you're feeling good enough about him, then maybe you do that deal. But but I was told that it was the Pacers uh, previously on that front that were, uh, were saying no thank you to that kind of a swap. Yeah, and there's probably going to be some type of surprise move. Maybe it's a three-team. I feel like every deadline, there's something that pops out of nowhere that you're like, you know, hasn't been rumored, you know, Masai even Ujiri whispered will, about. Will, will be heard at some point. Yeah, Always. it's looming. <laughs> Toronto uh, coming in there. They, they're up to the sixth seed in the East, by the way. They've hopped the nets. The they are not only up to the sixth seed. It's the, the East, if we can finish with this, brother, I'll let you go. But, like, the East narrative cracks me up a little bit, meaning – you know, the, the Bulls, very good season. DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, all those guys doing great, right? They're 33 and 20. They've come back a little bit. And and the parity in the East, you still have a strong Eastern Conference, but the parity is wild. I mean, you're talking four and a half games between the East leader and your eighth seed Boston Celtics. That's insane. The Celtics could go on a run 
conceivably and be leading the East. That makes no damn sense whatsoever. Well, how about how about between one and five? It's only one and a half games. You know, the right, Sixers right. could have a hot week and they're currently in the five seed. The Sixers could have a good week and they're in the one seed. Basically, well, yes, absolutely. And and the Raptors, you know, to your point about them, I mean, they're not only playing above their heads, but but they are contending. And Fred Van Vliet, you know, well deserved All Star berth. That was kind of neat to see. I think what was it first second round guy ever to uh, to get in there? No, 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 no. First, second round guy? Oh, no. Sorry, Manu. That was very rude of me. Of Draymond Green, who just got his fourth. (laughs) Nikola Jokic. I shouldn't have got out on a limb and tried to to pull the history out. But no, Fred Van Vliet, well-deserving on the all-star front. Undrafted. Andrew Select says undrafted. There we go. I knew there was something there. Select brings it home for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you go out west and like, you know, the Suns are two and a half up on the Warriors, so that separates one, two. Then the separation between two, three is four games. Separation between three, four is four games. So you're talking about the difference between the one seed and the four seed in the west is ten and a half games. Very different conferences right now. Indeed, indeed. All right, you uh, you get to go see a game in your old stomping grounds tonight. Have you forgotten what it's like to sit courtside? The the Thunder have the best seating in the in the league, and don't tell me that's changed. Hopefully, it's still a case. Last I was here earlier in the season, sat courtside. Um, Memphis sat courtside. San Antonio is still a courtside. Dallas, Ooh. it's very crunched courtside. But um, those are the, these these. I guess what would you call them? Like Southwest, you know, middle of the country teams. They still do us right, Sam. They Man, ain't worried about hitting the road and just targeting dollar. those four cities. You know, I covered a Thunder Grizzly series back in the day, which had four overtimes that went seven games. I mean, it's a pretty historic series. Um, and yeah, it was just seven courtside games. It was unbelievable. I love it. I love it. All right, brother. Appreciate you. We will talk to you next week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Tampering.